Hey, y'all, Cable here, and this week's podcast brought to you by Go Wild, the new social media app made for hunters, by hunters, and anglers, by the way. Uh, if you're tired of the hate that we experience on a regular basis on the normal social media platforms, then check out Go Wild. And here's something cool also. You can log time that you've invested listening to outdoor podcasts or hunting or fishing shows, and you can do that for my show right now. We're offering up, uh, we've partnered with Go Wild. We've got five Lone Star Beer camo dub seat coolers, and also we've got a great grand prize as well, which is a DS4K trail camera from Stealth Cam, the best trail camera on the market, and 100 bucks to the Go Wild store. It's free. All you have to do, log some time. Say that you've listened to the Lone Star Outdoors show. Do it on the Go Wild app, and you could be a winner. Check it out. Go Wild. Gaia del Cielo. Was a warrior born in heaven, so the legends say His wings, they had been broken He had one eye rolling crazy in his head He'd fought a hundred fights And the legends say that one night near El Suego They fought Cielo seven times Seven times he left brave roosters dead Good morning, good morning, good morning. That's Tom Russell Gallo Del Cielo kicking things off for us on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm your host, Cable Smith. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here today. Uh, thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris, longtime presenting sponsors as well. Hope everyone is having a great week. I sure as hell am. There is no doubt about that. I mean, my fingers are twitching. I can't wait to get out there. And start flinging some lead shot at those peaceful little birds known as dove. <laughs> Truly, uh, is that kind of crazy? A symbolic image of peace throughout history. And all Bell and I want to do is knock them down and wrap them in bacon. Uh, <laughs> one, of, one of my favorite foods, to be honest with you. Um, man, we've got a great show lined up for you today. So, you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee. Out of that beat-up old Stanley Thermos, the one that's still got mud caked on it from the 2012 waterfowl season, because we are ready to rock and roll. And off the top, we will actually talk some dove uh, with our Texas Parks and Wildlife dove program leader, Owen Fitzsimmons. How are things looking this year? Um, why are doves so prolific? I mean, we've got over 50 million dove in Texas by the peak point of the season. I mean, how is that possible? 50 million is a lot. How many do Texas hunters kill every year compared to other states? And uh, how many shots does it actually take? I know I gave you my thought on, I think I said it was five shots per bird. Might actually be a little worse than that <laughs> for uh, hunters as far as the number of shots fired to the number of birds actually put in their bag. Uh, so lots of cool stuff to get into as far as dove and dove numbers are concerned, as we get ready for opening day coming up next week. Can't wait. Uh, then we will shift gears because I will dove hunt on opening day. And then on, uh, and that's on Saturday. And then on Sunday, on the 2nd, my buddy and I are loading up for New Mexico and we'll head out for a do it yourself public land archery elk hunt in a unit where we both killed bulls back in 2015. So we'll see if that previous success uh, translates into punching tags on this year's hunt. And we'll talk some elk hunting 
since we've got that on the brain with our good friend Ryan Callahan of First Light Hunting, a longtime backcountry guide and pretty much the face of First Light's hunting lineup. Uh, he's also a board member of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, so very well respected within the backcountry community. And we'll pick his brain on all things early elk season as far as uh, where to set up your camp. How close is too close to set camp uh, when you know you've got elk in an area. Also, water purification options, bugling versus cow calling, when to do each. And uh, what about that big bull? Once you've put him to bed, you know where he's hanging out during the day, during, during the hottest part of the day. Is it worth trying to go in and kill him in his bed or better to... Just kind of hang out on the perimeter and see if you can sweet-talk him into bow range. Uh, we'll pick Ryan's brain on that as well as a bunch of other elk-related topics. Uh, we'll spend a couple segments with him today, so looking forward to that as well. A uh, couple other things. Don't forget that our August-September photo contest is going on. We've got an all-seasons Lone Star Outdoors show fire pit uh, with a grill. So actually this is like a 28-inch diameter fire pit perfect for your deer lease or backyard i've got one at both of my leases and there's nothing better than sitting around the campfire with your buddies crack open a cold beer and uh, reliving the day's hunt so we're going to give one of those away just email your best hunting or fishing or outdoor photo to lone star outdoors show at gmail.com you can also post it on our facebook page or tag me using that lsos photo contest hashtag on instagram and we'll get you entered and then our uh, our winners for 2018 will square off for our grand prize trophy hunt package at Coons Canyon Ranch. One of y'all will get to hunt trophy axis or black buck with me at Coons Canyon Ranch this coming spring. So be sure to throw your hat in the ring for a chance to win that hunt. Uh, let's do a quick giveaway. I've got a Lone Star beer camo cooler. It doubles as a dove seat and with dove season right here. You can load this thing up with uh, ice water, beer, but don't drink the beer while you're hunting, and uh, and get out there in the dove field. It's uh, multi-purpose, and we will. So let's just do this. Uh, email Lone Star. That's Lone Star to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com, and you are automatically entered to win the Lone Star beer camo dove seat slash cooler. Let's take a break. We've got a lot to get into today. And we'll kick it off with a little dove discussion up next, right here on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Cable here for iSocialBoost.com, a tool that many outdoor enthusiasts are using to grow their Instagram audiences. And if you're growing your Instagram audience, you're growing your brand. I recently let iSocialBoost.com take over a new page I created, and the growth has been incredible. iSocialBoost can help you expand your audience to heights you never imagined. Plus, you'll save 80%, that's right, 80% off your first week if you use my promo code LONESTAR. That's Lone Star at iSocialBoost.com. These are real followers who engage on a regular basis. Check it out, iSocialBoost.com. Have you had the frustration of trying to mount your game camera to a T-post with zip ties or bailing wire, but the first time you check it, find it pointing at the ground? I have. My name is Art Creep with Gunny Art Products. 
I'm the inventor of Teammate, the T-Post game camera mount. Teammate is a rugged steel bracket. Just attach your camera to it, slip it over a T-Post, and latch it in place. Teammate will end your zip tie and bailing wire frustration. Order yours today at tpostmount.com. That's tpostmount.com. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. You could hardly carry that 12-gauge shotgun But with time you grew tall and strong Not a better shot have I seen I won't forget the memories. When the dove flew steady and the ducks came down. <laughs> Excuse me, like got a, a little tear in my beard there. The uh, that one always makes me think of my first bird dog, Maverick. A great tune by our buddy Justin Bowerman. Boy and his dog's the name of that one. You won't find it on iTunes or Spotify uh, if you really want that one. Just email me. I'll try to hook you up with it. Um, I'm Cable Smith, by the way. Thank you so much for being here today. You are tuned in to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. We are all set to talk morning and white wing dove. Some of y'all might call them dubs. But uh, <laughs> opening day is next weekend, September 1st. Not just here in Texas, but uh, put up a survey on our Instagram. And it seems like the majority of states open up on the 1st of September. So uh, luckily, that's a Saturday this year. Uh, doesn't seem to matter in Texas. I don't even know why kids have to go to school on September 1st if it falls on a weekday because, my God, it should be a state holiday. There's over 300,000 dove hunters taking to the field on September 1st regardless of the day of the week. I don't know if your state is like that, but it is certainly a tradition like none other here in Texas, and it really signals the beginning of hunting season and Bell and I will certainly be out there celebrating one of my favorite days of the year uh, next weekend. Hope you all are excited about it. We certainly are. Uh, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by iSocialBoost.com. Um, if you're looking to increase your Instagram following, here's what you do. You go over to iSocialBoost.com. I just started a new page. I just wanted to see how it would work. And uh, it's called uh, Hunter's Legacy. That's my new page. already have over 1,000 followers in two weeks. Why does this matter? Some of y'all probably aren't even on Instagram, but if you're trying to, let's just say, make a name for yourself in the outdoor industry, um, isocialboost.com is the tool that you need to increase your following. Maybe get noticed, pick up some sponsors. Who knows? Maybe you're Jim Shockey Jr. and you don't even know it yet, but isocialboost.com 
will help you grow that following, help you reach your target demographic, and you'll save 80% off the first week of using their services when you use my promo code Lone Star. That's Lone Star at iSocialBoost.com. Made for hunters by hunters, by the way. Uh, all right, well, let's go ahead. Bring on our first guest today. I'm ready to talk some dove. I know Owen Fitzsimmons is as well. He's our Texas Parks and Wildlife Dove Program Leader. Uh, Owen, great to visit with you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. This is obviously our first interview. Um, we've spoken to Sean, I guess, quite a you know frequently over the years, and uh, he has since been promoted. And you have taken his old position as our Dove program leader, but uh, what did you do before that? Uh, well, I, I I'm from Longview, Texas. I grew up in Northeast Texas, uh, but I've been living in the Kingsville Corpus area and working throughout South Texas uh, for about 17 years uh, between school and work. Um, I spent some time managing a game ranch down there for a while, hmm. uh, and then worked with a uh, spent the past seven or eight years working with a nonprofit doing uh, coastal bird stuff. So I got to work with a lot of the water bird species, uh, pelicans, shorebirds, things like that. Oh, right on. Okay. And now, do you like to hunt? Absolutely. Yeah, I've been. Okay. A, I'm a lifelong hunter, uh, very avid bird hunter, uh, bird guy, just all around. Perfect. But yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, you're the guy for the job then. You know, there's this, to me, it's a very disturbing trend among wildlife management majors and kids coming out of college, a bunch of Nancy boys and vegan hipsters taking over wildlife management, which <laughs> is uh, it's not good because they don't understand sustainable use hunting and how hunting at, at its core is conservation. And they, you know, they live in this Disney-fied world of the only way to save the animals is by not hunting them. So, right. Uh, yeah. You, you know, in my past, I've, I've, uh, I've had to bridge that gap. You know, I've worked like I said, as a hunting guide, uh, a hunting ranch manager, I also worked with non-game species. I volunteered my time as, you know, with local Audubon chapters uh, as an officer. So uh, I kind of heard all sides of it. And to me, the most important thing is, is bridging that gap between people and kind of getting them to understand each other. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, there are a lot of birders that I used to used to work with that, uh, that were kind of horrified when they found out that I hunted birds avidly. And I said, well, if all those uh, refuges that you go to, all those places that you go uh, bird and, and photograph, you know, that was paid for by hunters. And so trying to trying to bring those two worlds together to me is extremely important for the future of uh, of our natural resources. Well, and it's damn time that they started chipping in, too. All these guys, uh, and I'll give you a prime example, the Montana uh, wildlife photographer who actually drew one of the grizzly bear tags, and he's protesting. He's not going to do the hunt. And uh, right. his name is Tom Mangelson. We had him on the show a couple weeks ago, and he's made—he's literally a millionaire. He's made a ton of money off of these images. But what has he ever paid towards conservation? Nothing. Right. You know, they're riding on our coattails, and if they want to go take pictures and do some birding, I'm, hey, as a kid, my dad and I had the Birds of North America book, and every time we saw a different species, we put the date and where we saw it. It's fun. I love it. Um, but. You need to pay your dues too if you're going to enjoy uh, the fruits of of our or our labor of love because we do put our money where our mouth is. Yeah, and and one thing I really push for uh, for the non-hunters to do is just buy a duck stamp. You know. Yeah. That's uh, one of the simplest ways you can help. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Well, let's talk a little bit about the season regulation changes. We've got some new stuff for this fall. 
Um, I know that we've got a 90-day season, which I believe is uh, it's the longest that we've had. I think we've had, what, 90 days the last three years? This will be the yep. third year? This will be the third year. Uh-huh. So a nice long season, 15 bird bag limit as always. And uh, as far as the south zone, though, they're actually um, opening up a little bit earlier. I know it's, I think it's just like a weekend only type of deal. Um, but tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh, the this is the first time in uh, I think it's a little over 50 years that we've been able to open this early. They're open the regular season this early. Uh-huh. So uh, regular season in the south zone does open September 14th, and uh, the the two weekends before that. So uh, the special white wing dove season, which spans the entire south zone nowadays. Uh, uh, south zone hunters can hunt on the first and the second and the eighth and the ninth. And then the next weekend after that, uh, the next Friday after that is the September 14th. So effectively our south zone hunters can now hunt every single weekend in September and, uh, and get to open regular season a week earlier than, than they did last year. That's awesome. And I, you know, we appreciate Texas parks and wildlife always, you know, having the interest of, um, the hunters out there at heart. And this is just another example of that. What kind of science went into that decision, though? Why why give us those extra two weekends? Well, uh, historically, the South Zone is always open a little bit later, um, based primarily on the thought that, uh, you know, the breeding season extended a little further into the year in the South Zone, uh-huh. uh, the further south you went. And uh, there's still kind of that, um, you know, dove seasons and, and dove regulations and, and uh, dove populations are managed not just by the state, but by several states in the Central Management Unit, along with Fish and Wildlife Service. So it's kind of a group effort across the flyway. And uh, there was still kind of that belief that's been held on, um, despite some science that showed uh, that showed the opposite or showed showed a little bit different over the years. Uh, it's still kind of a struggle to get people to get the group to let us open a little bit earlier. But um, uh, after after much much talk and deliberation over several years, they uh, everyone finally agreed that South Zone should open. You know that it won't be as as big of a, a an effect on uh, any late breeding birds than as they previously thought. So, yeah. Well, and dove are notorious re-nesters. I mean, every once in a while you'll shoot a morning dove that looks like it just fell out of the nest, and that, it is what it is. But that's because they make really terrible nests, and it doesn't take <laughs> much wind or rain or anything else. I mean, you obviously know more about it than I do, but just what I personally know about dove is. You know, the slightest wind can blow their nest over, and but they will re-nest, and then you know sometimes you have these what looks like uh, they just fell out of the nest, and they're they're there flying into your mojo dove on opening day. Yeah, and that's absolutely true. Um, you know, basically the reproductive strategy for for columbids for dozen pigeons is just to try to get as many nests out there as possible. Um, you know, science shows that that sometimes they'll be they'll have uh, eggs hatched, they'll have uh, birds in the nest. And while they're feeding those young, they'll start re, you know, getting with some other other birds and start a new nest while they already have a nest in progress. So that's kind of their strategy: is just uh, as, as fast and as quickly as possible get get as many nests out there and, and reproduce as quickly as possible. And um, you know, they don't have time to build big, extravagant, uh, well-built nests. Right. <laughs> Basically, what it comes down to. Yeah. Well, you know, um, we have 34 million. Morning dove, I believe in Texas, another 10 million or so white wing. Is that is that accurate? Is that what our population, our resident population, is? That's correct. Yep. Okay. And then we get, I mean, you know, you see the first cold front blow through, and and you you know we pick up all these other migrators um, that start showing up as well. So I don't know how many doves we actually house in Texas. It, you know, 
the middle of the season, but uh, over it's got to be over fifty million. Yeah, it's really hard to estimate that. Um, I mean, it's almost impossible to do any kind of surveys to really, really figure that out uh, to a T. But, but yeah, kind of the best guess that that folks have come up with over the years is uh, probably between forty and sixty million at the height of the, the hunting season. Wow. Okay. And we have three hundred thousand dove hunters in Texas that will harvest roughly ten million dove on average. I know last year was down because of Hurricane Harvey. Um, I wonder, and I used to know this, and I think it's five. I think the answer is five. But how many shotgun shells does the average hunter shoot to knock down one dove? Uh, it well, it depends on uh, where you're at and what time period. I, I actually looked this up the other day. I was talking to someone about it and uh, tried to find as much uh, actual, you know, peer-reviewed research as I could. And from 1950 to today, all the studies I found uh, kind of vary between four shot shells and nine shot shells per bird. <laughs> And uh, when we add that up, actually, we came up with, uh, uh, in Texas at least, about 60 or 70 million shells are, are shot every single year. 60 or 70 million sh- shells to kill 10 million doves. I'm in the wrong business. I should have been, I should have been in the shot shell <laughs> manufacturing industry. Yeah, exactly. Wow, wow. Well, so since we do, literally, Texas makes up one-third, I think, of the entire nation's dove harvest. Um, and you're talking about the central management unit. What other states are a part of that? Uh, that's going to be, uh, off the top of my head, Oklahoma, Kansas, the Dakotas, uh, stretches over to, um, I think New Mexico's in there as well. Uh-huh. Uh, let me look at a map because my geography is terrible. Well, it's okay. That's irrelevant. Yeah, I mean, I, what I was going to ask you is, so when you're yeah. sitting at one of these meetings and these people are telling you this, that, and the other, do you look at them and just say, "You shut your mouth." We we are the big player here when it comes to dove season. It's uh, it, it, it's unspoken. It doesn't need to be said. Uh, well, you throw yeah, we throw our weight around as Texans, and that yeah, group. everyone recognizes that uh, it takes several states just to even even come close to the amount of doves harvested in Texas. And and but you know, it, everyone that I've worked with in the flyway has been uh, really cooperative, and and we're all we all have the same end goal, and that's to get more birds in, in front of our hunters and and to manage the populations responsibly. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you this. How was production uh, this spring and on into summer? Because like we said, they'll, they'll keep re-nesting. Uh, so how are things looking as far as this year's hatch? Uh, well, we had a really mild winter, and our, our biologists in the field uh, in our northern counties, especially up along the Red River, uh, said that they didn't even really have a freeze after January 1st, and they were starting to see birds nesting in early February. Mm. And uh, with the rain that we had in February and March and uh, in that portion of the state, uh, we had a lot of really good production up there early on. And uh, peak nesting is usually around May or June. Uh, and we had a few rain showers come through certain key parts of the state then as well. So we had a, a really, really good production. And, and based on the numbers I've been looking at, some of the best that we've had in the past five or six years. That's awesome. I did my part, too. We just moved into a new house in uh, May. Moved in and there's a dove nesting on one of the speakers out on the patio outside. And my <laughs> wife's go. like, can, we, can you please knock that nest down? This is just getting crap everywhere and twigs. And, and I'm like, no, no. We're no, gonna, you can't do that. No, we're going to let those little three doves hatch and then we'll see them opening day. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good for uh, you. I, I appreciate it. The, the Texas hunters appreciate you. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, man, it, it was certainly nice visiting with you, Owen. Um I've enjoyed getting to know you and a little bit more about you. I look forward to uh, many more discussions in the future. And other than Dove, 
I know that's like the main thing you oversee, but are there any other species that you're uh, very hands-on with? Yeah, uh, my official title is actually Webless Migratory Game Bird uh, Program Leader. So essentially all the migratory game birds that do not have webbed feet or webless, uh, that, that's what I'm in charge of. And that includes sandhill cranes, mm. American woodcock, snipe, rails, and gallinules. You know, those woodcock and snipe are some tasty birds, but usually they've already flown by by the time I realized what they were. <laughs> yeah, they, some of those uh, shorebird species are, are pretty cryptic and hard to hard to recognize, especially on the wing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good deal, my friend. Owen, thanks again. I hope everybody has a, a wonderful dub season, and we appreciate uh, all that you're doing at the helm of uh, our, uh, our dove program over there at Texas Parks and Wildlife. Yep, absolutely. My pleasure. Texas Parks and Wildlife Dove Program Leader Owen Fitzsimmons. Great stuff there. Looks like it's going to be an awesome dove season. Uh, get out there, let your 12 or 20 gauge ring out, and put some doves in the freezer. Uh, one of my favorite things to eat, by the way. Even my kids love them. They actually asked last month, Dad, when can we have some more of those? Uh, they were trying to remember what they were, and they're like, oh, dove hearts. Mind you, they're 5, 3, and 3. And I just kind of gave a little silent fist pump and, and knew that I had won as a dad when your kids are asking for dove hearts because they think they're a treat. So anyway, get out there. Uh, don't waste those dove hearts. Shame on you if you do. That segment of the show brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. They've been helping uh, borrowers finance their own piece of Texas for over 100 years. They'll do the same thing for you. Land is the one thing they're not making any more of, and we all want it. So give Lone Star Ag Credit a call today. We'll be right back with our old friend Ryan Callahan of First Light Hunting. We're talking early season elk right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I've got time for one more round and a six-pack to go. Pike County, Illinois, and the surrounding area is hallowed ground for whitetail hunters. And with 21 years' experience, Golden Triangle Whitetails is the oldest outfitter in the state. Spread out over 14,000 acres, they have 350 acres of food plots, 500 tree stands, and over 80 box blinds. The guides take pride in having hunters harvest giant Midwest bucks. Golden Triangle Whitetails hunts the archery, muzzleloader, and Illinois rifle seasons. They have a full-time chef and excellent lodging. Book your whitetail hunt of a lifetime by going to www.goldentrianglewhitetail.com today. All right, waterfowl junkies, the finisher is the quick and humane way to dispatch a duck or goose. It's, uh, you know, it's unsettling when you've wrung that bird's neck, you throw it in the pile, and 10 minutes later, he's laying there flopping. Uh -uh. We don't want that. That's not ethical. And so the finisher alleviates that. You stick the finisher in the back of the bird's skull at an upward angle, give it a little twist, boom dead instantly never felt the thing the finisher is only 14 bucks it fits on any waterfowling lanyard and you can find it at adrenal-line.com hey guys cable here and i need to tell you about the go wild app if you've experienced any kind of hatred on social media from anti-hunters from tree huggers and the like then check out the growing go wild community it's free it's available for both iphones and android it's a great place to trade hunting and fishing stories recipes and share some of those bragging board moments of your outdoor successes. Check it out. It's the Go Wild app, available for both iPhones and Androids. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution, the System Hog Trap. 
comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The system is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Hey, hey, all you waterfowl junkies out there. Cable here for TX Duck Blinds. Highly durable and highly mobile customized duck blinds built by duck hunters for duck hunters. Each blind is built from solid steel by professional welders and field tested before shipment. A duck season will come and go, but guess what? Your TX Duck Blind is built to last. Customize yours today by calling 817-965-1306. You can also find them at texasduckblinds.com or check them out on Instagram and Facebook at TX Duck Blinds. Hi, this is Fred Eichler with Easton Bowhunting and Predator Nation. Thanks for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. September in the Rockies, the bull elk bugles ring. Their sounds fill the canyons just like they're trying to sing. Fall winds blowing winter and the snow's falling deep. That's it's Rich Fire getting us fired up here for Elk Season. I'm Cable Smith, and you are listening to the Lone Star Outdoors Show. One of my favorites there from Dave Watson. And I tell you what, Dave is spot on. September in the Rockies, <laughs> you can't beat it. No doubt about that. Uh, we're actually going to talk some elk hunting here in just a minute with an old friend, Ryan Callahan of First Light Hunting. But before we dive headfirst into that discussion, this segment of the presentation brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'd personally like to invite you to get plugged in with this great group of folks who are passionate about education, hunters' rights, and, of course, conservation. To do so, head over to biggame.org. And check us out. Um, okay. Well, uh, elk's obviously on my mind. I know that backcountry hunting, whether you've got an elk, mule deer, maybe even a bear tag uh, for this fall, uh, but that is front and center on a lot of people's minds. And so we're going to jump into a little elk discussion here today with uh, Ryan Callahan of First Light. So without further ado, Cal, it is great to have you back on, man. Oh, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Looks like you've been uh, traveling quite a bit this summer. Yeah, you know, things are just busy. We <laughs> always always talk about how we used to have this slack season, um, and it's just gone these days. So um, we're uh, still having fun, but hustling a lot more. Right, right. And I saw, I, it looks like you went, uh, you just got back from a river trip with some old friends or something like that. It looked like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, met up with a bunch of the old fishing and whitewater guiding crew back home in Montana, and uh, the yeah, you know we're all getting older. Everybody's <laughs> progressing. Lots of uh, uh, married couples these days, and and um, they uh, some of the the ladies took the initiative to get get kind of the old gang back together, and and it timed up with the 50th anniversary of the wild and scenic river designation mm-hmm. um so we we had a good excuse and what river was that that was the middle fork of the flathead right at the eastern boundary of glacier national park as it uh, follows highway two i you know I, I told you i was going to uh your home state for the first time this past spring to bear hunt and 
it was a short trip. We only hunted about three and a half days. Didn't get one, but my gosh, Montana was absolutely stunning. Nice. Yeah. Um, we were up there around Kalispell. How, how did you have some uh, highs and lows on the bear hunt, or how'd it go? Well, I mean, mostly lows. Everything we saw had cubs. You know, we'd see one and be like, oh yeah, yeah. And you know, we're 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 glassing from sometimes a thousand, fifteen hundred yards away, and then we'll see a nice bear and look at it for a couple of minutes and then two little fur balls will just appear in the spotting scope. It's like, damn it. Not again. Mm-hmm. But I uh, did see a couple of grizzly bears. That was something I had never seen before. So that was cool. Very cool. But elk is what uh, I want to talk about today. I'm sure that, you know, that's probably on your brain as well. I don't know what tags you have in your pocket for this season, but I figured I'd ask you, what is, what's next on your plate? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, over-the-counter public land hero again this year so <laughs> um i have you know general elk tag in idaho and uh general elk tag in montana and uh i always get the montana one because they have a program called montana native come home to hunt mm-hmm. so if you have if you were born in the state if you have a montana birth certificate and uh direct relatives that still live in the state uh, then you you get highly discounted uh, sportsman's package there. So um, I always grab that, and most years it's just a donation, but I try to make it home. Um, and antelope, archery antelope starts tomorrow. Oh, wow. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to hold off for a few days, and, and instead of running out and being a junk show, I'm going to get all my stuff squared away and, and uh look like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, archery, elk and mule deer start at the end of the month here in Idaho. So I'm uh you know, I'm kind of a mess first first little bit of the season because I do a do a real good job of turning the meat over in the freezer and and getting I'm I'm scary low. Scary low on meat right now which is where you want to be but at the same time makes me a little nervous well you shot an axis deer not too long ago i think you came down to texas for that you've already rifled through all that venison oh yeah that thing's gone (laughs) awesome yeah what do you what do you compare axis to i I think it's better than whitetail better than mule deer i don't know if i like i think elk's just a little bit better for for my taste anyway I I really do like Axis. It, it's really subtle. Um, I put it very close to elk. You know, honestly, mule deer is my favorite meat. Really? Uh, yeah. I, especially now, like I like something that's got a little bit more flavor to it, okay. or it has a flavor that'll stand stand up on its own. So you like the way and... sage tastes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what it is. I, I mean, I've had the mule deer that that is real stinky out of the package, and then as soon as you cook it, it's it's fantastic. So I've had some elk that are like so subtle, it's almost disappointing. I don't know. You know, the wild game thing is they are all their own individual animal. Um, they're living with so many variables that you know, domestic animals. When we finish them, just we eliminate, right? All this wild game, they're all really their own individual, um, you know, especially in, in comparison to 
uh, domestic livestock, the way we finish them, we eliminate so many of the variables um, that a wild critter can get into. And uh, so, it, like, currently, I, I smoked a goose from uh, a hunt, my one goose hunt last year. Uh-huh. And uh, that thing stinks to high heaven. <laughs> I, the smoker stinks, the refrigerator stinks, and the meat tastes really good, but the smell was everywhere. And I pulled another goose out to see what the heck was going on, and that thing has no smell to it whatsoever. Hmm. Uh, and I'm like, I, I was just like, thank God I didn't have a bunch of people over that I was like, oh, yeah, I can cook a goose really well. Um, and the bull elk that I got last year, um, I just started eating a couple weeks ago, and it is phenomenal. Like, it is so, so good, but it is everything on it has been chewy. Right. Uh, and that's just cooking it, like, mostly, you know, basker style. Just coming home and flipping on the, uh, uh, flipping on the, the, uh, trigger. Uh-huh. And, uh, that indirect heat makes for, for, uh, some good wild game, for sure. Well, and, and I found that everyone has their, you know, opinions. And before I went on my first antelope hunt, people were like, oh, pronghorn's disgusting. You're not going to like it. It's gonna be, I'm like, I'll eat anything, you know, and I probably will like it. And I thought the first time I took a bite of of a pronghorn tenderloin, I, I I couldn't believe it. I was blown away. And I don't know, maybe some of that's because in, in West Texas they're eating mostly agriculture. You know, we find them in ag fields. Uh, they're not eating sage. So I thought it was – it still might be – and I've only killed one. So uh, I don't know. I haven't had the pleasure of trying a ruddy old sagey pronghorn, but – uh, I thought it was delicious. Yeah, man, and and I remember early, early on, uh, an uncle of mine showed up at a little family reunion, and uh, he had some antelope with him that was, I'm convinced now, years later, looking back, that that meat had just gotten too hot and had actually started to, to sour, because that was the only way I could explain the flavor in the in this antelope uh, because i've had so many since then and have never never had a bad experience and you know when you're hunting antelope i imagine down in texas it's even hotter well we you do know, hunt them in october so it's it's still hot but it's it's not like it's 9500 degrees you know our season's okay. much later because in montana it can be easily be 90 plus degrees you know so yeah and I've seen a lot of guys, back when I was doing a lot of antelope hunting, there was a ton of antelope in the state of Montana, and everybody got, you know, at least one doe tag, um, but sometimes up to half a dozen doe tags. Oh, my but gosh. If you have you and one buddy in the truck, you're like, well, we got our bucks, now let's get our does. Like, you could see how all of a sudden you're – eight or nine hours into a day that's 90 some degrees and then uh then you got some meat going bad potentially mm. So. Mm. 
Um, have you heard of a Transcaspian Uriel? Is that a sheep? It is a sheep. It's a sheep. And I don't know where in the hell it lives. Uh, Transcaspian, maybe? I no idea. But uh, they have them in some high fence ranches in Texas. And my taxidermist is also a guide, and he, he took four guys out. They all killed one. I think they were $10,000 a piece. And they didn't want them. They, you know, they just wanted the, you know, just the shoulder mounts. And he brought them to me. He's like, hey, I know you're sick. You'll eat anything. So let me know what you think about these. And <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Uh, I might be the best thing I've ever eaten. And it was, uh, I'd only took the back straps out of all four of the animals. And I wish I still had some because it was the most tender wild game I've ever had. And I wouldn't have thought that with the sheep. So I think, you know, the point is people just need to be open-minded and try everything once. You never know. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I haven't been, uh, and the folks I hunt with, we haven't been lucky enough to get like a big gnarly odd ad, but, and I think you and I have talked about this before, but oh my gosh, the odd ad that I have wrestled out of the state of Texas because everybody's like, don't even touch it, <laughs> don't even throw it in the trap, um, has been just phenomenal eating. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They get a bad rap, which is, uh, I think it's totally unfair to that to that animal. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Um, let's do this. Let's uh, let's let's take a quick break, and we haven't even hit on elk yet. So uh, let's let's knock out a commercial break, come back, and then uh, talk about elk hunting. How's that sound? Sounds real good. Perfect. Uh, that segment, by the way, was brought to you guys and gals by none other than Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. They've partnered up with the Texas Trophy Hunters Association to bring you their brand new camo can this fall and it's available right now so grab a uh, six pack as you head out for opening day of dove season and remember to celebrate responsibly after the hunting is over uh, with a nice cold lone star beer or two lone star beer the national beer of texas we'll be right back with more from first lights ryan callahan you're listening to the lone star outdoors show Howdy friends, Cable Smith here, and many of you have seen my pictures throughout the last hunting season of my custom 7 mag. That rifle was built by Horizon Firearms. Horizon Firearms is a custom rifle builder here in Texas, located in College Station, and they specialize in extremely accurate custom rifles designed exactly the way you want them. Give them a call at 979-229-4664 or check them out at horizonfirearms.com. Have you had the frustration of trying to mount your game camera to a T-post with zip ties or bailing wire, but the first time you check it, find it pointing at the ground? I have. My name is Art Greep with Gunny Art Products. I'm the inventor of Teammate, the T-post game camera mount. Teammate is a rugged steel bracket. Just attach your camera to it, slip it over a T-post, and latch it in place. Teammate will end your zip tie and bailing wire frustration. Order yours today at tpostmount.com. That's tpostmount.com. Hi, I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club. 
an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. They all ask me how I'm doing. I just smile and realize that although it was kind to me, my youth is all behind me. Now I'm on the losing side. The losing side of 25. Losing side of 25. That's American Aquarium bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Powered. By Dallas Safari Club, Cable Smith, Riding Shotgun with you today. Uh, thanks to our presenting sponsors as well, Lone Star Beer and uh, Power Polaris. Hope you all are having a great week. I know I certainly am. Although I do feel a little bit overwhelmed. Uh, so much to do, so little time to get it done as uh, man, that archery elk hunt is fast approaching. I actually leave in less than a week now, so there's always that nervous excitement combined with that feeling of Oh crap, am I forgetting something <laughs> when I'm going over my pack and my gear for the umpteenth time? But anyway, uh, thanks for being here. I'm sure some of y'all can relate to that. Uh, this segment of the presentation is proudly brought to you by First Light. Uh, I've partnered with First Light. We're, we've got an awesome giveaway. It is basically my early season archery elk kit. You can hunt spring turkey, spring bear, uh, Africa, any number of things, but essentially it's for that milder weather. And, and here's what it includes. In this kit, it's the obsidian pant, the sawtooth hybrid jacket, a wick top and bottoms. So you'll get that uh, arrow wool top and bottom combo, uh, a pair of mountain triad socks, talus gloves, a trucker hat, and traverse gaiters. Total value, I mean, that's like five, 600 bucks right there. It's at least 600 bucks. Here's how you enter to win. You just go to our Instagram page and nominate a buddy on one of the posts. You'll see him. I've made about six posts in the past week regarding this promotion, and you need to be following First Light. Uh, so nominate a buddy. They can nominate you right back, and we are actually selecting two winners. So an awesome, awesome promo from First Light. First Light, go farther, stay longer. Uh, with that being said, let's pick it back up here with our good friend Ryan Callahan of First Light. Cal, certainly appreciate you sticking around through the break, my friend. Oh, absolutely. So I, I guess now we should actually talk elk hunting. That's what we advertise this uh, discussion as, and we haven't even gotten there yet. Uh, so elk certainly uh, on the brain. I know it starts for you here at the end of August. For me, I'm going to go dove hunting on September 1st in Texas, and then a buddy and I are hitting the road for New Mexico where we each drew tags. Um, and and so I was doing – we've been going back and forth on – you know, where we want to set up camp. We've done our scouting. We know the area. We each killed a bull there in 2015. But I figured I'd pick your brain as someone who's spent infinitely more time in the backcountry than myself and probably most of our listeners. Dehydration is a real player at altitude. You need to stay hydrated. You need to be drinking water constantly. So I wanted to ask you, when you know you're in elk, you've got an area, and we know that there's elk there. I've, I've hunted elk there. This will be the third time and hunted mule deer in there and seen so many elk on that trip that they're there every year in September. So we, we already know they're going to be there. So how close is too close to set up camp to that area that's holding a good number of elk? Boy, especially when the rut 
like really, you know, gets any more. I think that the second these seasons open, you're pretty deep into the pre-rut side of things, which means animals are, are moving. Mm-hmm. Um, they may not be crazy vocal, but they're, they're starting to get a little, little more erratic behavior, especially those, you know, raghorn bulls, which is what I specialize in, right? <laughs> I, I, I need a broadside elk. That's the extent of my trophy hunting. So I, I err on the side of uh, having a pretty good buffer zone between camp and where those elk are. You know, ideally a good a good 20-minute hike, uh, you know, pretty brisk, get warm in the morning hike into where those where I'd, I'd really suspect to see elk, but uh-huh. I'm hunting elk as basically as soon as I hang my coffee cup up in the morning. Right. So yeah. quiet camp, no matter what. Um, you know, I'm not, I don't have a big campfire. I typically don't have a campfire at all. You know, all night long, too, I'm, uh, I'm definitely listening. So. Well, that's kind of, so we decided to, uh, to camp at the same place we did uh, three years ago and um it is above i mean we're going to be hunting down in the morning which goes against conventional wisdom a lot of experts say don't hunt down in the morning because the thermals are moving down the mountain but i don't know i think we have these elk dialed into where we can navigate around and overcome those thermals so to speak um maybe come in from the side whatever the case but yeah like you said a 20 minute walk i think we're about Oh, 1.5 miles from where we would start to lose elevation and actually start hunting where we would expect to see elk. So that's kind of, uh, I guess, pretty much right exactly what we're doing. Minus the fact that we were <laughs> coming down uh, in the morning. I, I don't know. Would you advise us not to do that? Or is that something that's really not that big of a deal? Man, the only golden rule for me is you find them where you find them and you deal with it then. Like I have seen elk do things that that i have old people on the mountain i'm like there is absolutely no way that bull is coming over here and had him in my lap within 10 minutes right uh, yeah i if if you got some knowledge of the area um you know that always trumps the conventional wisdom of don't you know don't hunt downhill or don't whatever so yeah uh but yeah, man, one and a half miles into where you think you're going to start bumping into elk, um, I, I think is totally appropriate and not, not a waste of time. Well, I mean, the whole reason we're camping there as opposed to below them is because that's where the lake is, you know, that's where the water is accessible. And it is, it, you know, you look at it the other way, though, if you're coming down in the morning, you're, you're going the wrong way with the thermals. And then in the afternoon, you're, once again, you're going the wrong way with the thermals as they're moving up the mountain. Um but I like your golden rule. Find them and then deal with it then. <laughs> so, Yeah, and those elk can, I mean, they can definitely like get in that rhythm of, you know, they're, they're definitely going down in the morning or they're definitely coming back up in the evening. But that rut time frame, all it takes is, you know, what you want to have happen, right? You got one big bull decides to come out of his high mountain hangout um and actually start playing the game and that's just like throwing a grenade in that group of elk right one new face that comes in and starts looking for hot cows 
that disrupts all the social structure in that whole group. You know, it, it can make those elk, you know, basically fit in one spot all day long. Um, you know, a couple of bulls going crazy can keep those cows from doing what they want to do. No problem. So that's, I mean, that's really why I love hunting, right? It's like, there are so few, few like solid rules. Like there's, it's a game of so many variables that the, the folks that can think on their feet and are the most willing to throw that plan out the window, um, are oftentimes very successful guys. I think that's often overlooked because you you know you could listen to a, a myriad of, of podcasts or read a litany of articles on elk hunting and and they'll tell you you need to do this or don't like I said don't don't hunt down in the mornings. But in 2015, three of us flatlanders from Texas went into a unit with like a 12% success rate. Two of us killed bulls and the other guy unfortunately shot one and we never did we never found it. So I think that the, like you said those rules sometimes don't apply. Uh, and then definitely like educate yourself right like listen to those podcasts and and oh yeah you know, get that will primos hunt talk uh cd if they're still making cds these days you know just keep in mind that that's just like ammunition in in the uh in the hopper right like mm-hmm. it's it's a tool a trick that you can pull out when that time is appropriate and you still need to decide when when that time is appropriate so well, you mentioned that big bull that's hanging out in his high mountain hangout, and my buddy and I know exactly where that is. My buddy shot him uh, with a muzzleloader first week of October. He drew a muzzleloader tag. The next year I went back, and we saw, and this is getting to my point of where that high mountain hangout is, whether that bull has been shot or not, there's going to be another one that moves into that best habitat in that area, uh, in my opinion, every time. It's predictable. We know he's going to be there even if last year's big boss got killed. Very true. Very true. Like, you know, I have spots where I know there's going to be a set of shed antlers laying right there because the spot's just too good. Um, it's got everything they need for that time of year. And there's definitely those spots where it's kind of like, of course there's going to be a big bull here because the wind is almost always in their favor uh, they can take, you know, a very easy escape route in four or five directions and be totally gone from whatever way you approach. Um, those, those spots definitely exist. And, you know, the, the trick is always how you, I'm always, I'm more of a fan of, for, for big animals, I'm more of a fan of, working that outer edge and catching that guy um, when he's on his feet versus going right in and, and trying to kill him in his bed. Mm -hmm. I know I'm going to screw up. I have. (laughs) And and I know if I, if I have him on his feet, I can get a couple of attempts versus the one attempt in his bed. And if you blow him out of his bed, then, you're probably not going to see him again. Oh, yeah. Been there a time or two, no doubt about that. And uh, that's one of those live and learn deals. But let's do this. Let's take another break. Uh, Ryan, come back and let's talk some calls. Once you've got that big boy pinned down in his bed, you don't want to go in there and blow him out. How do you sweet talk him 
into bow range. Do you use a combination of uh, bugle and cow calls, one or the other, or something uh, entirely outside of the box? We will discuss that next. Uh, that segment, by the way, brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging Technology. If you haven't had a chance to look through the Pulsar Trail, oh my gosh, the Trail Series is its as bad to the bone as it gets. It's, it's the greatest clarity that you're going to find in a thermal optic. It also has an internal recording device. I've told you guys and gals about it. You need to see it for yourself. It's the Pulsar Trail, and you can find it at PulsarNV.com. Plus, save 20% off your order and get free shipping when you use my promo code Lone Star. We'll be right back with more from First Light's Ryan Callahan. We'll continue talking elk right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. The wise men will bow down before the throne, and at his feet they'll cast their golden crowns. Three Curl Outfitters is now offering guided North Texas quail hunts just 30 minutes south of DFW if you're looking for a quality quail hunt close to home, planning a company outing, or just looking for a place to tune up your dogs. You need to give them a call. Hunts are $2.50 a hunter for a half-day hunt. That includes 15 birds, and you can add extra birds for $8 a piece if you want to give your bird dog just a little more run. You're welcome to bring your own dogs. Otherwise, the guide and dog fee is $1.50 a day for your entire group. That's not per person. Go to 3curl.com or call 214-641-8097 to book your hunt today. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Well, Cable, there's no better way to cool off than fishing with Captain Len. The speckled trout run is so hot, and the prices are not. We're also catching redfish, black drum, flounder, and even snapper. All your gear is provided, fish cleaned, and the whole ball of wax. All you need is a camera and a smile. Just ask Cable. And that's right. Captain Lynn is a longtime friend of our show. He fishes all the way from Corpus Christi Bay up to Baffin. Visit CaptainLynnsFishing.com today. Book your trip and tell him you heard about it here for special rates. Hey, everybody. It's John Dudley from Knock On TV, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. And the only thing I ever hammered worth the damn was a fender in a rock and roll band. I can't pull no car apart But I can fix a broken heart And we could build a dream right where we stand On one acre of land Love that one there from Sean McConnell, One Acre of Land, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader big game conservation. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you so much for being here today as... We are talking all things elk hunting with our good friend Ryan Callahan of First Light. And uh, we're actually about to resume that conversation. But before we do that, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by All Seasons Feeders. You know, not only does All Seasons make the best game feeders on the market, they also have some pretty amazing blinds as well. I've got the big chingone out at my dearlies. Uh, when I take the kids out there, this fall, on their first whitetail hunts, we're going to be enjoying the uh, roominess of the big chingone. It's got windows for both bow hunting, rifle hunting. It's got cup holders, shelves, you name it, and room for four or five chairs in there. It's the big chingone, and you can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. All right, well, let's pick it back up 
with our bud Ryan Callahan of First Light. Many of you probably know him just as Cal. And so, uh, you know, Cal, before the break, we had gotten to the point where you've located this big daddy bull. You know where he hangs out. You know where he sleeps. Um, But how do you kill him? We talked about not blowing him out of his bedding area, something we've probably both done a time or two and learned from. So as far as getting him to come to you, what do you say to that bull in order to try to convince him to get up off his lazy butt and come investigate what uh, whatever it is that you're trying to represent? You know, the only thing that has consistently worked for me is uh, going in in the heat of the day and like the time that you shouldn't be hunting uh, when it's hot and those cows are not going to move. Like the bull knows they're not going to move. He's already likely tried to like get them up and mess around with them. Um, and he's given up and he's, and he's laid back down cause he knows there's nothing happening. And because of that mentality, uh, and mind you, this is just something that I've stumbled into and worked on over the years and, it, and it's very consistent. Um, mind you, I don't, ultimately kill the big bull but I yeah but... definitely call him <laughs> um the uh i i feel like getting in close and obviously knowing your areas is is key to this situation but get in close heat of the day and lots of fun little chirpy cow calls and like just wash, rinse, repeat on on that cycle and big, big, long pauses. And if that doesn't get, and this is like a silent, silent calling routine, like that bull is going to come in silent and check it out um, because he doesn't want to alert other bulls to this awesome little situation that he's lucked into. <laughs> um, I mean, who doesn't like to get it during the daytime? It's just a gift from God, right? <laughs> like, oh my God. Well, I didn't know that was going to happen today. <laughs> um, and that, that bull really does want to come check that out. And it's because he's got the confidence that the cows that he's put to bed have no interest in getting up. They've been run around ragged all night long. They got run around all morning long when they're trying to get food and water. And, and now it's hotter than hot and they just want to be in bed. And that's that time where that bull can pop up, you know, walk a short distance. He's still in his comfort zone and, and check out what's going on. So you rarely bugle midday. In that situation, well, in that situation where you know you've put a, a monster to bed, anyway. Yeah, in that in that situation, I'm a big fan of kind of what I call conversational elk calling. Mm-hmm. I've also been known to call it uh, killing them softly, where it's you're you're basically having a conversation amongst your your buddies, 
through, you know, cow calls and some just like very short, like I said, like conversational elk bugles, not like, Hey, where are you at? Or, Hey, I'm going to kick your ass. It's we're moving around, we're feeding, we're walking up the trail, whatever. And we're just talking back and forth. Right. Right. And so it's quiet. Like it's very quiet. It's very, uh, soft. It's, it's, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's, you know, weird notes that you wouldn't hit in a conventional bugle and mixed in with some, you know, not interested, but again, just kind of talkative cow calling. And, um, and I'm listening way more for branches breaking, um, or somebody rubbing a tree than I am, uh, like a full blown ripping bugle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, in this pre-rut time, because that's when we're going to be there, uh, like the second through the tenth, and and we've been there before, and they're starting to get fired up. Uh, I feel like, I mean, and our experience anyway has been that we're more likely to call in a a satellite bull through bugling than we are the big guy. Um, and I think you can be a little more aggressive if you've got one that's firing off. I mean, I, I I'm not going to back down and just uh, shut off the bugle. Oh, I I bugle way more than I cow call, and I'm an aggressive bugler. Um, but it's it's more in the mornings than the evenings. Uh huh. Um, and and it is about you know getting in on these bulls and and seeing what you know, getting in that comfort zone and being able to kind of read that terrain, you know, the most frustrating thing for me is, is when those elk are on the move, you know, and, and you're having this running conversation, um, with an animal that's being pulled by a group. Um, but you know, an interesting situation, that real tasty bowl that, uh, I was telling you about that's a little chewy. You know, I called the cow, not the bull. Huh. There was so much action going on, and it was by you know these raghorn uh, fives and sixes that um, were just screaming their heads off and running around like crazy, but they were not interacting with each other at all. Um, and if you blew a big ripping bugle those bulls would shut up and if you blew like a light-hearted bugle those bulls would all rip off um but they wouldn't turn anything to you so what i was seeing was um when i'd make that big dominant bugle all the cow elk heads would turn and look and they'd actually start walking my direction and Hmm. eventually i see this cow who's been chased back and forth over this mountain um by this six-point bull um again you know young bull three-year-old bull and uh i rip a huge bugle and she turns and starts coming my direction and I couldn't quite figure out what was going on and I ripped another big bugle and she starts 
really moving my way, and the bull behind her is dead quiet, but is still on her ass. And it kind of clicks with me then, but it shut up. And she kind of keeps coming my way and then just kind of veers off, and all of a sudden that bull's right on her butt and chases her all over. So I follow him over this little ridge and just rip a monster bugle and kind of do a little bit of raking, monster bugle, big mean guy, (laughs) and here comes that cow. And that bull is still right on her butt, and she's got her head on a swivel, and she's looking, looking, looking. Um, I like to be more or less out in the open where I, I may screw up and be seen, but it's to me that's not as bad of a screw up as, having the elk in your lap and not having a shot because you decided to be inside a bush or something. Right. Uh, and I basically locked eyes with this cow and ripped a huge bugle and she ran right over this little ridge, right into me. Um, that bull was right on her butt. You know, I dropped the bugle on the sling there and, um, and she, was like, oh, my God, I screwed up at 15 yards. And then kind of did that nervous walk and trot away. And the bull was right in that exact same gap and, you know, 17-yard shot, and that was it. So, um, But that that was a situation where I was calling the cow with a bugle, Hmm. uh, calling the bull with a bugle. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, unfortunately for for the bull, uh, girls always get you in trouble. So. Uh, yeah, and that was to me that cow was like, oh my god, I am not going to mate with this bull, and he's running me all over hell and gone. The only way I'm going to get him off my ass is to run him into this big bull, mm. and have the big bull get this little guy off my ass so I can actually rest. I don't know. I mean, you're given that, uh, I mean, she had to have instinctively been doing that. And maybe these animals are smarter than we give them credit for because, uh, I, I truly don't think that uh, a big bull elk, it's all just engorged with rutting activity and his neck's all bulging. And I think he's, I think they lose their minds. I mean, I think that's why we uh, hunters are so successful uh, with, with archery tackle is because, you know, they get stupid or careless. Oh, yeah, there's there's no question they're making. I mean, we can't, let's put it this way. We, we don't just rattle up whitetail bucks with archery tackle when we're standing out in the open and shoot them. I mean, we just don't. I, very rarely does that ever happen. But yet, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of hunters take to the woods every September with archery tackle, and, and they kill an elk like that. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, man, it's, uh, they're, they're definitely, uh, operating in a fog, right? (laughs) Not eating nearly as much. They know this is their one opportunity to breed for the season. Um, the whole herd dynamics just gone nuts. Um, you know, it creates a, a hell of an opportunity to get in there and, and put an arrow in one. There's no question. 
yeah, I, but it's the, I think it's the vocalization game. But, but that's what attracts me to it, you know. Uh, whitetails just aren't, and mule deer aren't vocal like that. Elk are such a, a different animal, uh, literally, and they rely on those sounds um, throughout the entire year to communicate with uh, their herd or, you know, their bull or vice versa, bull to cow. And, uh, and that's why it's fun to go in there and try to outsmart them. Yeah, it is so, so It's like turkey hunting. Oh, yeah, you know, we always used to, you know, not have a real uh, high opinion of turkey hunting uh, growing up in Montana and never could figure out why the hunting TV was nothing but whitetails and turkeys. And uh, and then we started hunting them in the spring, just using cow elk diaphragms to chirp them in. And all of a sudden we were like, holy hell, this is elk hunting. Right. Now I get it. And I'm the exact opposite of someone who has hunted turkeys a lot longer than I've hunted elk. I'm like, oh, God, this is like shooting a 700-pound turkey. <laughs> <laughs> so if you haven't elk hunted, get out there. Uh, you know, Colorado's a great place to go over the counter. If I don't draw, that's where I usually go. I know your home state has um, some – I think you have to get online pretty early um, to get those leftover tags. But there's other over-the-counter opportunities like in Montana as well. So it's uh, it's my favorite type of hunting. There's no doubt about that. Oh, and you get to talk to animals, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. that's every little kid's dream. And I guarantee you, you'll run into a giant-ass mule deer and you won't have a tag. <laughs> so you'll get to see that too. <laughs> um, well, hey, Ryan, a couple more things. You know, call me lazy or just a light packer. I, I take everything out, weigh my pack, take some more stuff out, weigh it again. Um, and I, I tend to use those iodine tablets when I'm away from, let's just say, our base camp uh, there at the lake. Yep. You know, I'll fill up in the morning, and I'll I'll use those throughout the day because I don't want to carry a purification system. Are those iodine tablets really bad for you if you if you use them every day for you know a week? People try to tell me they are. I, I honestly don't know. What's your take on that? You know, I, I've talked to a lot of folks um, that that say it's a resounding no. They are not bad for you. Um, uh, you know, when you follow the proper dosages, mm-hmm. um, the, uh, I, I use, uh, Aquamira drops, which is, you know, basically your backcountry city water solution. It's the same solution that, uh, you know, light chlorine solution that they put in city water. Um, cause it, it, to me, a lot of the pumps out on the market are, um, you know, prone to some issues and they're bulky and it's more weight. Um, and you got to plan ahead a little bit with, with drops cause it's not an instant, you know, put a few drops in there and shake it up and you can drink it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is a drawback there, but uh, the same with the iodine tablets. I mean, you've got to wait uh, maybe like yeah. a half hour or so. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. you got to plan ahead. But, you know, having some excuses to stop and kind of take inventory of what the heck's actually going on around you and not being hyper-focused is, is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so running your, your water purification drill is, uh, is a good opportunity to do that. Um, and then... Uh, you know, SteriPen is a great one um, in areas where you're 
you don't have a lot of debris in your water. Right. Um, and uh, that's it. That's a great one too. It works great. You know, I just get to a point where like how many battery operated things am I going to pack around with me? <laughs> that's how I feel. <laughs> that's why I grab those iodine tablets. But I might try the uh, Aquamira drops then if uh, you recommend those. So. Yeah, I, I really do, and um, it's a uh, pretty darn simple solution, and I bring, you know, I have uh, some big uh, external water bladders for camp, so if I'm in a spot, um, like, you know, it sounds like for you, it's a couple miles from where you guys are camping to the lake, and if you're drawing water out of the lake, you know, it's nice to fill those drums up and get them purified and then you have a reserve of water for me early season when you're sweating like crazy and the days are really long there's there is nothing worse for you than being like oh geez am i gonna have enough water for dinner and then enough water for you know for drinking too and i better not drink that much like that's a bad situation to be in Mm -hmm. yeah um, what is the average weight of your pack for a seven-day trip? Um, it's probably sadly heavy. It's it's probably in there in that you know fifty-pound range. Um, That's not bad. I'm I'm gonna try to stay under fifty for sure. I'd like to be closer to forty-five, ideally. Yeah, it just you know food is a big deal, and then like when you're dropping camp, like how much stuff you can actually drop in camp. Um, I mean, it's obviously preferably most of it for us. I mean, our situation is, I guess, a little different because we know those elk are there. They're there year after year, same time. So I'm going to try to leave as much stuff as I can. Nice. Yeah, I I cover a lot of ground, you know, and I'm just looking for something that's willing to play, right? Sure. Um, so I tend to have camp on your back, back yeah, which. Um, early season, I, I have simplified it, you know, to really as basic a kit as I feel like I can get away with to, uh, just kind of keep that in mind, you know, but Idaho, Montana, early season's hot and dry. So, you know, I don't bring a stove. I don't bring a rain fly. I don't bring a tent. Um, I keep it really basic. So you're just sleeping under the stars every night? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I, I just I couldn't imagine doing that in New Mexico. First time I ever went elk hunting, it rained every day for seven days. I mean, it was <laughs> – that's where I – that was my indoctrination into black toe. Uh, so that was fun. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> you know, I got foot funk down in uh, New Mexico uh, the last year. I kind of got it down there and um, – the uh we were staying in this rv i uh had to dig through the rv to try to find some sort of anti-fungal cream for for uh, my right foot uh-huh. and uh, came up with a tube of vagisil and uh <laughs> it. oh man i wish i'd have had some i mean <laughs> wow and, and, you know it, it just doesn't matter, and obviously, first light makes the best gear on the market. But if you're literally stepping in rain in in puddles every day for seven days, it's just the water's going to get in your socks somehow. Um, 
and so I don't know. It was just a bad experience for me <laughs> all the way around, and I was there by myself, and it was just like, ugh. So I'm very, very picky about my feet, and uh, that's why I like those mountain athlete socks, to be honest with you. <laughs> it pays to be picky about your feet, you know? Keep them clean. Keep them dry. Um, yeah, New Mexico, man, it, it is a pretty awesome time of year, though, and they have those uh, late afternoon thunder showers that come in, and it's pretty – pretty amazing place to watch those storms move around oh there's no doubt there's no doubt about that well as we wrap things up here what uh for your early season um backcountry kit how many pairs of pants do you have for a week and uh how many pairs of socks because go back to the weight thing and that's why i'm just curious yeah i'll have one pair of pants and you know beyond the five-day mark, I'll have two pairs of socks. Wow, that's that's. Uh, I don't think I could. I think I at least got to have two or three. I can't just put the same ones on every day. What's nice, man, if you have water around, um, those things rebound really, really well. So I'll rinse them out in the creek and uh, give them a scrub, and then just tie them onto my pack, and they'll dry out and and. Uh, you can trick yourself into thinking you have a brand new pair of socks every day. Well, I couldn't do that. Like I said, that that year that I got the black toe because uh, I was trying to, I've had to build a fire and trying to dry my socks off around the fire, and then next thing you knew, I had a bunch of crispy socks. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, from what I knew then to what I know now, it's just like, how did I even survive out there? Yeah, man, it is fun to look back on, and um, I, uh, I definitely try to remind myself and of uh, lessons I've learned, you know, and I feel like sneaking out for some summer trips are a good time to do that where, you know, maybe you, you uh, purposely leave some of those comfortable things behind and and know what it, it really feels like to do a big, long, hot weather hike in a cotton T-shirt that just gets crispy and thanks to high heaven or, Poly Pro, something like that. Um, and then when you throw that Merino t-shirt on, it feels real, real nice. <laughs> that it does. That it does. Anyway, my friend, always great to visit with you, Cal. Hey, have a great season. And uh, I'm I'm sure we'll do this again soon. And also, everyone check out uh, Tag's Sheep Hunt. Uh, you guys are releasing those videos, I think, every Wednesday, right? Correct, yep. Uh, your quote was, it'd be like putting the uh, water boy in the uh, seventh game of a World Series and saying, we just we just kind of need a grand slam here. Uh, so that that sums up Tag's hunting experience, to win a, a doll sheep hunt in Alaska. Uh, it's a pretty awesome story. It is. Yeah. It is. Well, right on, man. Thanks again, Cal. Hey, thank you very much. Good luck out there and, and have fun. All right, our good friend Ryan Callahan of First Light. Always enjoy talking backcountry tactics and gear with Cal. Uh, that segment of the presentation, by the way, brought to you by Rudy's True Texas Style Barbecue and Sendero Seed Company, two Texas traditions. And don't forget, Sendero Seed Company has anything and everything you need to keep a happy and healthy whitetail herd, including the Dr. Deer backed. Buck Forge Oats, Sendero Seed Company for all your planting needs. Um, just looking at the clock here, we got to go, got to get out of here. That's going to do it for today's broadcast. Thanks to all of our sponsors, 
for making this show possible. Thanks to our guests, Ryan Callahan, as well as Owen Fitzsimmons of Texas Parks and Wildlife. Thanks to you guys and gals for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Got something, but I know I'm only fooling myself. I should have called you by that middle name that no one knows, and you'd be ashamed, but at least you would have reckoned.